You're listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Welcome everyone to the Pines Church online experience. My name is Matt Joy. I am the lead pastor here at the Pines, and I am so excited that you decided to spend 30 minutes in change with us as we study God's Word. We are starting a new series I am so excited about, and we've titled this series, uh, actually we're in the process of titling this series, but essentially it's on identity. We've all stared into that gaze in the mirror and asked ourselves this question, who am I? One of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves, but in order to be able to answer that question, I believe we have to actually seek out our origin. We have to go back to the one that created us. And so in order to be able to do that, um, we have to go back to the beginning. And that's actually what origin means, the point or place where something or someone begins or rises or is derived. So you could call this your origin story. Every superhero has an origin story, but those are fictional. They come out of the mind of a human. But your origin story was penned in his book, God's book, before you ever drew a breath in this world. Because Psalm 139.16 says, every moment of your life was recorded before a single day had past. The problem is many of us have an idea of what our life should look like. We even have an idea of who we think God is, but it's based on our natural understanding. And so we must go to scripture to understand who God is, to understand who we are, because there's a very stern warning in scripture. And I actually want to start here. Okay, it's in Proverbs 14, 12. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. So there is a way that seems right to you to live your life. There is a destiny that seems right to you. There is an understanding of God that seems right to you that can lead to death. I want you to think about that, that word right. Other translations say there's a way that seems good to a man. There's a way that seems beneficial to a man, pleasing to a man, fruitful to a man, desirable. There is a way that seems good to a man, but in the end leads to death. You know what that tells me? That the road to death and destruction looks good. It looks beneficial. It looks pleasing. And that's why it's so important that we're in the word of God so that we're not deceived traveling along the wrong path, the wrong path for our identity, the wrong path for who God is, the wrong path for our destiny. And so in order to be able to find the right path, you have to go to the beginning of the path, the origin 
of the path. And that's the journey that we're going to take for the next 25 minutes. I should have prefaced this whole entire message by saying this. This is simply an introduction. This series is going to be six to eight different services as we dive into who God is, who we are, and who and what is the story of the church because we're all interconnected. Okay? And so to frame this story, to frame your origin, to frame who God is, we must have the proper lens. Okay, and I want to start in Proverbs 9.10. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, remember I told you we're going back to the beginning to make sure that we're on the right path. Well, Proverbs clearly tells us, Proverbs 9.10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, that's where I lose so many people because most people don't understand this scripture. When we hear the word fear in our culture, in our society, it means you're scared, you're afraid. Yet the number one commandment in God's word is do not be afraid. So that, that's not what God's talking about here. If you actually, because you can't be in an intimate relationship with somebody you're afraid of, right? So that's not gonna work. And that's not what God's talking about. It actually means to, let me just kind of tip, get ahead of the definition a little bit. It actually means not being scared of God, but being scared to be away from God. Okay, it's, it's understanding in the proper context who God is, who you are in this world and universe. No, that word rather, if you, if you look in the Hebrew definition of the word fear, it can be broken down into two different definitions, reverence, in awe. And let me just let me just be honest. Those are two words that we don't have a whole lot of use for in our modern day vernacular. When was the last time you used the word reverence? When was the last time you used the word awe? Probably you used awesome, right? And you used the word awesome to describe your sneakers or your hamburger right? So words get dumbed down and over time they take on new meaning. But when the Hebrews wrote these words, they were reserved just to describe Yahweh. Okay, so let's define reverence. Reverence means a deep regard or respect for someone or something. Awe is a feeling of reverential respect and genuine wonder. I love that word, wonder. So to, to go back to that scripture, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's read it like this. The reverence, the awe, the wonder of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's truly understanding who God is in, in the human narrative. And he is the author of all things. See, I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question, so don't feel like you need to answer this. When was the last time you were in awe of anything? When was the last time you paused and stopped and your breath was literally taken away and, and you were just like, wow. 
I'm speechless. Like, I don't even have words to explain what I'm seeing and what I'm taking in. Now, maybe you have had that experience. Maybe you went to the Grand Canyon. Maybe you saw like a comet uh, through a telescope coming in, okay? But again, those are created things. And what we're talking about here is the creator of all things. And so the enemy would love nothing more than to pervert your image of God, to dumb it down. And to be quite honest, the whole reason that we're having this conversation is because many of us have settled in the church and outside of the church for small answers to big questions. So then we think we understand and know God. You know, one of the things my kids are starting to uh, creep up against the teenage years and they're trying to show their independence. They're trying to show, like, I can do this on my own, mom and dad. But it's almost like this buzz phrase in our household. And it's like nails on a chalkboard. When my kids tell me, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Well, because the reason I'm giving them this information is because they don't know. But then their immediate response, instead of listening... And maybe they had 90% of the equation and they were just lacking 10%. But instead of listening so they can get that full 100%, they just say, yeah, I know. And I think there's a lot of us, when it comes to God, when it comes to the church's role in the world, we say, yeah, I know that. We've lost our awe. We've lost our wonder of God. We look at going in God's word as a chore as like this discipline that we have to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps instead of this divine opportunity that's been set before us for us to transcend time and space to be able to connect with our creator because God is his word. And so somehow in this beautiful exchange, that's a mystery to our limited understanding. We have the opportunity to be intimate with our creator. But most of us look at scripture, look at church, look at God as, yeah, I need to read the Bible so I can stay good and one day I'll get to meet God. But no, the veil has been torn. We can have fellowship with the Lord every moment of every day. And that's what I want to just kind of nudge and, and champion you into discovering who God really is. The majesty, the greatness, and the glory of God. Those words almost just get thrown into worship lyrics and we don't fully explore what is the majesty of God what truly is the glory of God Psalm 89:7 says this God is greatly to be feared okay we already defined that word revered or viewed in awe in the assembly of the saints that's you and me and to be held in reverence by all those who are around him. So question, I'm asking myself this question, but I'm asking you to ask yourself this question too. Have we become casual with reading God's word? Have we become casual in worship? Casual in the church? Casual um, in our prayer life? 
Don't answer that question. Just ask yourself. The reality is we cannot dumb down God. God does not fit in any box man can construct. He has no beginning and he has no end. Your mind can't even grasp that concept. He is outside of time. He created time. So who is God, right? That's a good question. And typically, many pastors and and teachers would take you on, on a stroll through Genesis. And that's certainly a good place to start because the first few words say, in the beginning, God. So God was already there in the beginning. He was the one penning mankind's story. And then it goes through the creation. He created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Um on day one, on day two, on day three, but it gives you kind of like a a two-verse definition of each day. It doesn't really explore the depth of what he actually accomplished. And so I felt led to go to a completely different scripture, a scripture, uh, two chapters of scripture that I've actually never heard read in church. And I've been going to the church, I've been going to church most of my life. And so I was just thinking, man, there's probably a lot of believers and non-believers that have never heard this text before. And that is an absolute travesty. And so I'm going to read this to you. And now it may be a little, it's different. I'm going to read two chapters to you. I'm just preparing you. Okay. And I need you not to tune out. I really need you to lean in. Close your eyes unless you're driving but really allow the word of God, hear the voice inside of the voice and let it penetrate to your heart. And I promise you, the awe, the reverence will begin to manifest, will begin to grow because there's no way you can read this text and not be in awe of who God is. And the beautiful thing about this is this is God's own words to Job. And you know, many scholars and theologians believe that Job was actually written before Genesis. Okay, so I'll give you a little context. Job, in case you haven't read the book of Job, Job has some questions for God. He's been going through some really, really hard things. And he, believe he, he believes he has the right um, to bring these questions to God. And that he's entitled to some answers. Job had it really, really well. He was prospering. He had a beautiful family. He had his health. Things were just cloud nine, okay? Then all of a sudden, he was stripped of all of these things. And somewhere along the line, he lost his awe of God. And so the question needs to be asked, was his awe of God wrapped in his things and relationships because here he is without those things in relationships and now he's coming to God as if God is a man and and, and from the moral position that, hey man, I'm entitled to some answers here. I have some questions for you, God, and I'm entitled to some answers. I know none of you have ever been in that place, right? None of you have ever gone to God and said, hey man, I need to have a heart to heart. I need some answers to this question. And that's okay. That doesn't scare God, but we have to understand when we come to God with these questions, who he is and who we are. 
Because if we become casual, if we enter the throne room of God from a position that's not reverential, honoring, and in awe, we're going to completely miss him. So he comes to God with these questions, right? And this is how God responds. I'm going to read this to you right now. This is Job 38. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined the measurements? Surely you know. Or where? Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the seas with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness is swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther. And here shall you pr proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness that you may take to it its territory? And that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were born there then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hall, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way... To the place where the light is distributed or where the east is scattered upon the earth who has a cleft a channel for the torrents of rain in a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain in a land where no man is on the desert in which there is no man to satisfy the waste and the desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass has the rain a father or has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of Pelides or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead from Nazareth in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of heaven? Can you establish their rule here on earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightning that may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together? Can you hunt for the prey for the lion? 
or satisfy the appetite of young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in the thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey? When its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for a lack of food. I'm only halfway there. These are questions, okay, that God is posing to Job. As Job has gotten a bit casual with God, almost viewing him as a man, like a boss. And God is reminding Job of who he is. You could call it the ultimate God flex, okay? I'm going to continue to read on in, in, in chapter 39. Don't tune out. Really lean in and hear God's words. Hear the awesomeness of God. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calf, calving of the does? The does? <laughs> the does. Can you number the months that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth? When they crouch and bring forth their offspring and are delivered of their young. Their young ones become strong and they grow up in the open. They go out and do not return to them. Who has led the wild donkey to go free? Who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey? To whom I have given the arid plain for his home and the salt land for his dwelling place. He, sc he scorns the tumult of the city. He hears not the shouts of the driver. He ranges the mountains as his pasture and he searches after every green thing. Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will he spend the night at your manger? Can you bind him in the furrow with ropes? Or will he harrow the valleys after you? Will you depend on him because his strength is great? And will you leave him to your labor? Do you have faith in him that he will return to you your grain and gather it from your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but they are pinions and plumage of love. For she leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and the wild beast may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young as if they were not hers. Though her labor be in vain, yet she has no fear because God has made her forget wisdom and given her no share in understanding. When she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at the horse and his rider. Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exults in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattle the quiver, the flashing spear and the javelin. With fierceness and rage, he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, aha. He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. It is by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings towards the south. It is at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high. On the rock he dwells and makes his home, on the rocky crag and stronghold. From there he spies out the prey. His eyes behold it from far away. 
His young ones suck up the blood, and where the slain are, there he is. Job's response to God is worth noting. He says, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? It's interesting that he used, the, the scripture records he used that word, behold. Because that's not a word that we uh, use very often. But that is a heart posture that we've been commanded to take in approaching God. To behold his majesty. To behold his beauty, his wonder. To behold in a heart posture of awe reverence, and surrender. That's a lot, right? Sometimes I think we've misplaced that awe on us. You know, if you think about social media, it's, we, we're very quick, and there's, there's nothing necessarily wrong in this unless it really is taking root in our heart to share our triumphs, our achievements, our accolades, and everybody comes along and says, great job. But the challenge I think that we have, that all of us have is, are our accolades, our triumphs, and our accomplishments pointing to God? Because he's the one that puts air in our lungs. He's the one that's divvied out gifts among men. He's the one that's given us wisdom, intellect, reasoning. And so when we're placed in a position of honor, we should bestow that honor upon the one that gave us the life that we steward. I'm going to read this quote from John Piper. He said this, If you don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy they become very exciting. If you can't see the sun, you'll be impressed by the street light. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, then you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and the majesty of God, you'll fall in love with the world. Shadows and short-lived pleasures. Let that be a warning to us all to never lose that wonder of God, to never point that awe and that reverence towards the created things, but rather towards the creator. And you see, God wants us to have accomplishments. He wants us to achieve these accolades. But when we send the reverence back to him, we magnify God. And all of a sudden, the people that are in our sphere, they see, wow, it's not that this individual is so great. It's that they've believed and appropriated the promises of God's word, and God has graced them in this area. And what God did for them, he can do for me because he's no respecter of person. So our lives 
should be a magnifying glass or magnifying uh, telescope to God. Everything we do and every word we share should be magnifying the greatness, the awesomeness, and the majesty of God. I hope that you got something out of this. Again, this is just an introduction. I would encourage you to read Job for yourself because those words, they hold so much weight. I want to pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for every single person under the sound of my voice that's listening, that's watching. I pray for their heart to be enlarged. I pray for you to give them an appetite and a hunger to pursue you, the majesty and the wonder and the awe, God. Give them a reverential perspective. Let them grow in the fear of the Lord. Give them a revelation on the fear of of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom in their lives. Open up the scriptures to them in a way that they've never read or experienced before. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I want to thank you so much for starting this journey with us. Tune in next week and we'll continue to uh, explore the attributes of God, the creation of this world leading into the creation ultimately of you, your origin story. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.